Therese and Germain. Where the main street opened on the seafront, a lady and gentleman were advancing with hesitating steps, as though unfamiliar with the place. The brother was a puny little man with a sallow complexion. He was wearing a motor cap. The sister, too, was short but rather stout and was wrapped in a large cloak. She struck them as a woman of a certain age, but still good-looking under the thin veil that covered her face. They saw the groups of bystanders and drew nearer. Their gaits betrayed uneasiness and hesitation. The sister asked a question of a seaman. At the first words of his answer, which no doubt conveyed the news of Dormival's death, she uttered a cry and tried to force her way through the crowd. The brother, learning in his turn what had happened, made great play with his elbows and shouted to the coast guards, I'm a friend of Dormaval's. Here's my card, Frédéric Astin. My sister, Germaine Astin, knows Madame Dormaval intimately. They were expecting us. We had an appointment. They were allowed to pass. Renine, who had slipped behind them, followed them in without a word, accompanied by Hortense. The Dormavals had four bedrooms and a sitting room on the second floor. The sister rushed into one of the rooms and threw herself on her knees beside the bed on which the corpse lay stretched. Therese Dormaval was in the sitting room and was sobbing in the midst of a small company of silent persons. The brother sat down beside her, eagerly seized her hands, and said in a trembling voice, My poor friend, my poor, poor friend. Renine and Hortense gazed at the pair of them. And Hortense whispered, And she's supposed to have killed him for that? Impossible. Nevertheless, observed Renine, they are acquaintances, and we know that Astin and his sister were also acquainted with a third person who was their accomplice, so that it's impossible, Hortense repeated. And in spite of all presumption, she felt so much attracted by Therese that, when Frédéric Astin stood up, she proceeded straight away to sit down beside her and consoled her in a gentle voice. The unhappy woman's tears distressed her profoundly. Renine, on the other hand, applied himself from the outset to watching the brother and sister, as though this were the only thing that mattered and he did not take his eyes off Frédéric Astin, who, with an air of indifference, began to make a minute inspection of the premises, examining the sitting-room, going into all the bedrooms, mingling with the various groups of persons present, and asking questions about the manner in which the murder had been committed. Twice his sister came up and spoke to him. Then he went back to Madame Dormaval and again sat down beside her, full of earnest sympathy. Lastly, in the lobby, he had a long conversation with his sister, after which they parted, like people who have come to a perfect understanding. Frédéric then left. These maneuvers had lasted quite thirty or forty minutes. It was at this moment that the motor car containing the examining magistrate and the public prosecutor pulled up outside the chalets. Renine, who did not expect them until later, said to Hortense, We must be quick. On no account leave Madame Dormaval. Word was sent up to the persons whose evidence might be of any service that they were to go to the beach where the magistrate was beginning a preliminary investigation. He would call on Madame Dormaval afterwards. Accordingly, all who were present left the chalet. No one remained behind except the two guards and Germain Astin. Germain knelt down for the last time beside the dead man 
and, bending low, with her face in her hands, prayed for a long time. Then she rose and was opening the door on the landing when Renine came forward. I should like a few words with you, madame. She seemed surprised and replied, What is it, monsieur? I'm listening. Not here. Where then, monsieur? Next door, in the sitting room. No, she said sharply. Why not? Though you did not even shake hands with her, I presume that Madame Dormeval is your friend. He gave her no time to reflect, drew her into the next room, closed the door, and, at once pouncing upon Madame Dormeval, who was trying to go out and return to her own room, said, No, madame, listen, I implore you. Madame Astin's presence need not drive you away. We have very serious matters to discuss without losing a minute. The two women, standing face to face, were looking at each other with the same expression of implacable hatred, in which might be read the same confusion of spirit and the same restrained anger. Hortense, who believed them to be friends, and who might, up to a certain point, have believed them to be accomplices, foresaw with terror the hostile encounter which she felt to be inevitable. She compelled Madame Dormeval to resume her seat, while Renine took up his position in the middle of the room and spoke in resolute tones. Chance, which has placed me in possession of part of the truth, will enable me to save you both if you are willing to assist me with a frank explanation that will give me the particulars which I still need. Each of you knows the danger in which she stands, because each of you is conscious in her heart of the evil for which she is responsible. But you are carried away by hatred, and it is for me to see clearly and to act. The examining magistrate will be here in half an hour. By that time, you must have come to an agreement. They both started, as though offended by such a word. Yes, an agreement, he repeated in a more imperious tone. Whether you like it or not, you will come to an agreement. You are not the only ones to be considered. There are your two little daughters, Madame Dormeval. Since circumstances have set me in their path, I am intervening in their defense and for their safety. A blunder, a word too much, and they are ruined. That must not happen. At the mention of her children, Madame Dormeval broke down and sobbed. Germaine Astin shrugged her shoulders and made a movement toward the door. Renine once more blocked the way. Where are you going? I have been summoned by the examining magistrate. No, you have not. Yes, I have, just as all those have been who have any evidence to give. You are not on the spot. You know nothing of what happened. Nobody knows anything of the murder. I know who committed it. That's impossible. It was Thérèse Dormeval. The accusation was hurled forth in an outburst of rage and with a fiercely threatening gesture. You wretched creature, exclaimed Madame Dormeval, rushing at her. Go, leave the room. Oh, what a wretch that woman is. Hortense was trying to restrain her, but Renine whispered, Let them be. It's what I wanted, to pitch them one against the other and so to let in the daylight. Madame Astin had made a convulsive effort to ward off the insult with a jest, and she sniggered, A wretched creature? Why? Because I've accused you? Why? For every reason. You're a wretched creature. You hear what I say, Germain? You're a wretch. Therese Dormeval was repeating the insult as though it afforded her some relief. Her anger was abating. Very likely also, she no longer had the strength to keep up the struggle, and it was Madame Astin who returned to the attack, with her fists clenched, and her face distorted, and suddenly aged by full twenty years. You, 
You dare to insult me. You? You, after the murder you have committed? You dare to lift up your head when the man whom you killed is lying in there on his deathbed? Ah, if one of us is a wretched creature, it's you, Therese, and you know it. You've killed your husband. You've killed your husband. She leapt forward in the excitement of the terrible words which she was uttering, and her fingernails were almost touching her friend's face. Oh, don't tell me you didn't kill him, she cried. Don't say that. I won't let you. Don't say it. The dagger is there, in your bag. My brother felt it when he was talking to you, and his hand came out with stains of blood upon it. Your husband's blood, Therese. And then, even if I had not discovered anything, do you think that I should not have guessed in the first few minutes? Why, I knew the truth at once, Therese. When a sailor down there answered, Monsieur Dormeval, he's been murdered. I said to myself then and there, it's she, it's Therese. She killed him. Therese did not reply. She had abandoned her attitude of protest. Hortense, who was watching her with anguish, thought that she could perceive in her the despondency of those who know themselves to be lost. Her cheeks had fallen in, and she wore such an expression of despair that Hortense, moved to compassion, implored her to defend herself. Please, please, explain things. When the murder was committed, you were here on the balcony. But then, the dagger, how did you come to have it? How do you explain it? Explanations, sneered Germain Astin. How could she possibly explain? What do outward appearances matter? What does it matter that when you... What does it matter that anyone saw or did not see? The proof is the thing that tells. The dagger is there in your bag, Therese. That's a fact. Yes, yes, it was you who did it. You killed him. You killed him in the end. Ah, how often I've told my brother she will kill him yet. Frederick used to try to defend you. He always had a weakness for you, but in his innermost heart he foresaw what would happen. And now the horrible thing has been done. A stab in the back. Coward coward. And you would have me say nothing? Why, I didn't hesitate a moment, nor did Frederic. We looked for proofs at once, and I've denounced you of my own free will, perfectly well aware of what I was doing, and it's over, Therese. You're done for. Nothing can save you now. The dagger is in that bag which you're clutching in your hand. The magistrate is coming, and the dagger will be found, stained with the blood of your husband. So will your pocketbook. They're both there, and they will be found. Her rage had incensed her so vehemently that she was unable to continue and stood with her hand outstretched and her chin twitching with nervous tremors. Renine gently took hold of Madame Dormeval's bag. She clung to it, but he insisted and said, Please allow me, madame. Your friend Germain is right. The examining magistrate will be here presently, and the fact that the dagger and the pocketbook are in your possession will lead to your immediate arrest. This must not happen. Please allow me. His insinuating voice diminished Thérèse Dormeval's resistance. She released her fingers one by one. He took the bag, opened it, produced a little dagger with an ebony handle and a grey leather pocketbook, and quietly slipped the two into the inside pocket of his jacket. Germain Astin gazed at him in amazement. You're mad, monsieur. What right have you... These things must not be left lying about. I shan't worry now. The magistrate will never look for them in my pocket. But I shall denounce you to the police, she exclaimed indignantly. They shall be told. No, no, he said laughing. You won't say anything. The police have nothing to do with this. 
The quarrel between you must be settled in private. What an idea to go dragging the police into every incident of one's life. Madame Astin was choking with fury. But you have no right to talk like this, monsieur. Who are you, after all, a friend of that woman's? Since you have been attacking her, yes. But I'm only attacking her because she's guilty. For you can't deny it. She's killed her husband. I don't deny it, said Renine calmly. We are all agreed on that point. Jacques Dormeval was killed by his wife. But I repeat, the police must not know the truth. They shall know it through me, monsieur. I swear they shall. That woman must be punished. She has committed murder. Renine went up to her, and touching her on the shoulder, you asked me just now by what right I was interfering. And you yourself, madame. I was a friend of Jacques d'Armaval. Only a friend? She was a little taken aback, but at once pulled herself together and replied, I was his friend, and it is my duty to avenge his death. Nevertheless, you will remain silent, as he did. He did not know when he died. That's where you are wrong. He could have accused his wife if he had wished. He had ample time to accuse her, and he said nothing. Why? Because of his children. Madame Astin was not appeased, and her attitude displayed the same longing for revenge and the same detestation. But she was influenced by Renine in spite of herself. In the small, closed room where there was such a clash of hatred, he was gradually becoming the master, and Germaine Astin understood that it was against him that she had to struggle, while Madame Dormeval felt all the comfort of that unexpected support which was offering itself on the brink of the abyss. Thank you, monsieur, she said. As you have seen all this so clearly, you also know that it was for my children's sake that I did not give myself up. But for that, I'm so tired. And so the scene was changing and things assuming a different aspect. Thanks to a few words let fall in the midst of the dispute, the culprit was lifting her head and taking heart, whereas her accuser was hesitating and seemed to be uneasy. And it also came about that the accuser dared not say anything further, and that the culprit was nearing the moment at which the need is felt of breaking silence and of speaking, quite naturally, words that are at once a confession and a relief. The time, I think, has come, said Renine to Therese, with the same unvarying gentleness, when you can and ought to explain yourself. She was again weeping, lying huddled in a chair. She too revealed a face aged and ravaged by sorrow, and in a very low voice, with no display of anger, she spoke in short, broken sentences. She has been his mistress for the last four years. I can't tell you how I've suffered. She herself told me of it, out of sheer wickedness. Her loathing for me was even greater than her love for Jacques, and every day I had some fresh injury to bear. She would ring me up to tell me of her appointments with my husband. She hoped to make me suffer so much I should end by killing myself. I did think of it sometimes, but I held out, for the children's sake. Jacques was weakening. She wanted him to get a divorce, and little by little he began to consent, dominated by her and by her brother, who is slyer than she is, but quite as dangerous. I felt all this. Jacques was becoming harsh to me. He had not the courage to leave me, but I was the obstacle, and he bore me a grudge. Heavens, tortures I suffered. 